You're listening to the Health Coach Nation podcast. My name is Haley Rowe, and I'm a business coach for online health coaches who want to attract their ideal clients, stop feeling defeated by their never-ending to-do list, balance a healthy lifestyle with their growing business, and stop overanalyzing what everybody thinks of them so that they can confidently own their message and online presence. On this podcast, we dive deep into health information you can share with your clients, business strategy tips, and more. Let's get to it. All right. I am here with Brock Armstrong. And Brock, you have a crazy fitness background. You're a, <laughs> you do a little bit of everything. Um, and not only are you in the fitness world, but you've just launched a new website called weightless.me with a board yeah. certified nutritionist. So tell me about your background. I know you've been on a lot of podcasts. You're Ben mm-hmm. Greenfield sidekick. You've been on, you've helped out Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Tell us a little more about your background from fitness to your sidekicks and nutrition. <laughs> okay. Okay. Trying to keep it short. Um, I'm old, so it's, uh, it can go on and on. You know, my, uh, my fitness background really began back when I was a kid. And for some reason, my mom put me in every single sport and every single dance lesson and every single like activity she could possibly put my sister and myself in. And so I just grew up being extremely active and just sort of assuming that that's the way the world was supposed to be, that in the winter you played hockey and in the summer you played baseball and soccer and and in between you did jazz dancing and you did ballet and Ukrainian dancing and all of this kind of stuff. So I just really, I was born into being being an active kid and that really carried through my entire life. I never stopped being active and in, and in fact, anytime I have been forced to be inactive, it's driven me completely crazy. Now, I am a child of the 70s, so my nutrition side of things has been all over the place. We were raised on hot dogs and those little packages of chicken noodle soup. Oh, man, that was like every single lunch hour when I was in elementary school was a hot dog and a chicken noodle soup package. So so really, like the nutrition side of things, I, I only really got into later in life, and that was due to uh, a bit of a, a health scare, and we may get into that a little bit later. I had an infection in my heart, but um, not to make a long story too much longer, but then um, I went to, I was a professional ballet dancer for a number, number of years, and when I uh, when I left the ballet world, I joined a band, and as you can probably guess you I know you're a musician so you know how unhealthy that lifestyle can be living in a van driving across the country I still kept myself sane by I I gave up drinking for five years I didn't touch a drop of alcohol um every single fast food restaurant we'd stop at I was the guy who was ordering the salad or getting like the the chicken breast sandwich instead of the burger and and things like that and I really did my best to always stay on top of of my well and some of it was just vanity i have to have to admit like just wanting to look good not necessarily being the healthiest i could possibly be but then after that i i fell in love with marathoning fell in love with triathlon um to the point where i decided i i needed to know more and more and more and that really led me to getting some certifications and some um 
some fitness certifications, uh, run certification. I still haven't actually finished my triathlon certification. It's hard, you know, when you start getting like too much work, you kind of neglect your, your schooling, but anyway, um, yeah. And then I just fell in with the likes of like Mark Sisson. I was, I was his voice on the podcast for a couple of years, reading his blog posts every day, um, doing the bulletproof radio podcast, editing that, um, twice a week for the last five years. Wow. Yeah, it's been a while. And I started with Ben Greenfield back in 2011. So that's like six or seven years of doing his uh, his podcast as well, working with Abel James, the fat burning man. Oh, yeah. I worked on his podcast for a while. Uh, the Holistic Athlete podcast, Katie says, Katie Bowman is freaking amazing. I loved working for her. I learned so much every week on that podcast. Um, Endurance Planet, I'm actually back working with Endurance Planet again. So yeah, my my education has come from real formal education, from actually just doing stuff. Like I've done sixty five marathons, I think now at this point. Oh my god! Um, and also just from being um, allied with some of the the greatest greatest minds out there right now, or at least the most forward thinking minds in health and and nutrition and and fitness. And um, and yeah, the waitlist thing just we just kicked that off in July last year. We've got two two classes going through the course right now. Um, it's about 250 people I think are are going through it right now. And I started or I was invited to join that. I shouldn't say that I started it. It was all Monica's idea. And, and she, Monica is the the nutritionist involved with it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I just assume everybody knows Monica. Monica Reinagel. She's also known as the nutrition diva. Yes. And that's not because she's a diva. Well, she is a diva, but she's a diva in the sense that she's an opera singer as well as a nutritionist, which Ooh. is uh, which is really fun. So we've got a ballet dancer and, a, and an oh opera singer. Oh my gosh. I love um, that. We put on quite a show. Um, but yeah, so she came up with this idea for what she came to me with was the idea of micro dieting. And that seemed really intriguing to me. So we started uh, working together on that. And and like I said, we've now had like 250 and or so people through the through the program. We're planning wow. to launch another one in, in July. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the nutshell, I guess. OK, wow. So first of all, you're multi-talented. I mean, the ballet dancing, I had no idea about. I sing. I'm into health. I think that's a natural thing for performers to get into it for vanity reasons first, and then later get so into it as far as how they feel and, you know, that kind of thing that it can kind of shift. At least for me, it did. And I'm sure for you, it did too, especially surrounding yeah. yourself with those very inspiring wellness professionals, learning a lot from them. It kind of gets contagious. But Okay, what the heck is micro dieting? When you said that, I was like, hmm. Well, um, you know how everything is sort of cyclical, and this is the way I sort of view the view the world in a lot of ways. Like, if one fashion will eventually come around again and again and again, and it seems to be one of those things of not to. I, this sounds terribly sexist. I should change my my. <laughs> my line of thinking here but the like the length of a skirt <laughs> tends to get shorter and shorter and shorter mm-hmm. until it needs to get longer and longer and longer well the same sort of thing happens with with everything really in the world and i feel like right now or at least even maybe 2 years ago we were at a point where the skirt had gotten as short as it can get the amount of <laughs> weight loss that people were promising in the shortest amount of time had reached a critical mass or has reached a critical mass 
where it's gotten to the ludicrous. Like, of course, like every book has some sort of ridiculous claim on the front of it that you're going to lose 10 pounds in a, in three days, or you're going to lose 30 pounds in a month or something. Well, actually, that's not that, that ridiculous, but you know what I mean? Yes. And so the idea of micro dieting is much, it, it's as much a backswing against that sort of, um, that line of thinking of faster is better but it also is a lot more grounded in in science and reality in that when you lose and you know this I think you were talking on your last episode with Danny you guys were talking about this when you're losing weight too quickly you tend to lose a lot of muscle mass as well as body fat we don't want to lose muscle mass nobody wants to lose muscle mass like that's unless i guess you're like going for some very specific sort of endeavor but most people don't want to lose muscle mass they only want to lose fat and you can't do that quickly like if mm. you if you restrict your calories too much if you if you engage in really catabolic activities you're going to lose muscle mass and we know that hurts your hormones and it can really hurt your your bone density it can lead to to problems down the road and even so far as uh, amenorrhea and things like that so we don't want to we never want to put a person in a position of actually harming them to somehow achieve some loss on a scale or achieve a number on a scale. So the idea of micro dieting has as much to do with, um, with maintaining your lean muscle mass and maximizing your fat loss as it does to do with mindset changing, which is mm. another thing that can't happen rapidly. Like you just can't develop good habits, break old habits, uh, reset your, your habitat, get your, your emotions under control. Like emotional eating is a, is a huge thing. in at least in Western society where we have an abundance of food and, and we really can just go and, and binge anytime we want or anytime we feel that our, our emotions are out of control. So there's, that's really the, the whole genesis of, of a micro dieting sort of idea. And we threw out the, the title of micro dieting, but really the essence of it stuck around. And the, the idea being that small sustainable changes made in, in a, on a timeline where you're adding just one thing at a time, just one little change to your lifestyle at a time. And the, the program is a year long and we promise that it's going to take you a whole year to, to actually assimilate this information. Um, that's, yeah, that's the whole thing behind the, the weightless philosophy of, of losing wow. weight. And we, we always promise like we're you, on our program. You don't, you don't just lose weight. You become someone who weighs less. I see. Okay. You become that kind of person through your habits one small win at a time. And it's kind of like, to me, it sounds a little bit like phasing your diet instead of launching into something with a whole bunch of rules all at once and hoping that you can keep up with it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, there is no diet plan. Like there's no okay. meal plan on weightless and there's no exercise plan. Wow. Okay. Because those are what we call dieters mindsets that mm -hmm. you need to have these things in place. So let's say you start the the new, um, let's call it the, um, I don't know, the hockey puck diet. I have a hockey puck on my desk. I just thought <laughs> of that. Um, the hockey puck it's all the diet. And, and it says that you have, this is, these are your meals for Monday and these are your meals for Tuesday. Mm -hmm. and, and these are your exercises for three days a week. And then you must do this and this. 
that's great. And we know that that kind of thing works. Like we absolutely know that throwing yourself wholehearted with all your willpower and all your gusto into one of these programs can result in weight loss and it can put on some muscle and you can achieve these goals. But then what happens? And that's a, I always, I always ask people when they come to me for coaching and they say, I need to lose some weight. I want to run a marathon. And I say, okay, those are two separate things. They're like, no, I want to run a marathon so I can lose some weight. I'm like, okay, where's the exit strategy? Like what happens when you finish that marathon? Mm. Like maybe you're at your goal weight, but still you got there by training for a marathon. What happens after that? Are you going to run marathons for the rest of your life mm -hmm. to, to maintain this weight? There's a guy named Professor Tim Noakes, and I know a lot of people have said something similar, but he's pretty famous for saying, um, if you have to exercise to maintain your weight, your diet is wrong. Mm. And okay. I think that's absolutely true. Like exercise conveys a lot of wonderful things, but, but it shouldn't be used to maintain your weight because that just means you're, you're just fighting a losing battle. At some point, you need an exit strategy. At some point, your willpower is going to give out. At some point, you're going to get bored of yeah. eating the same things or doing those same workouts. And sure, there's another diet trend that's come along somewhere along the way. But what the real problem is, is that our relationship with food is broken. Mm, yeah. That especially in, in North America and, 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 well, the Western world in general, like we really have an unhealthy relationship with food. Yeah. Do you mean like that? And we use it for what it's not, what it's not purposed for, or do you mean like in our mindset of calories in, calories out, diet, 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 binge? What? How? Explain more about how our relationship with food is off. Sure. I I tend to sum it up with I was at the I was at the hardware store the other day. And you could buy food at the hardware store. Mm -hmm. They had like a, a pretzel vendor and a and a hot dog oh, guy. At, like, why? Yeah. What the, the heck is that all about? Like that's and that's just one aspect of it. But we do tend to think that hunger is an emergency, mm -hmm. and that food needs to be like available at all times. Um, and like you were saying too, like the the diet. We have a lot of dysfunction with food. We use food to celebrate things. We use food to console ourselves. We, every time you get together with friends, there's food involved. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't the way that that we evolved as a species for millions of years. The celebration around food was because they probably didn't have food for like right. a week or something. Then they finally had a big kill, so they had a big party and it involved food. We we're just making excuses to to be gluttons at this point, right? And, and I don't mean to sound judgy. Like this is no. this is something that's happened over decades. We've just gotten to the point where food is so readily accessible, and we've started to we well we haven't just started. We've completely assimilated it into into our lives as as comfort, as mm -hmm. fuel, as boredom as entertainment as right all of those things yeah so food's everywhere we use it as an escape or as a for something that it's not meant to be for and also you must have been since you've gotten into this whole weightless program that's a year long and and you're more into the slow sustainable habits you must have had a history with dieting that has gotten you to this point where you're accepting now that okay, it takes patience, it takes time 
tell me about your history with different diets and your mistakes you've made along the way and why you've tried certain diets and kind of where you sit now. I know that's a loaded question, but start with your history and we'll, we can go from there. Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. And, and the students at Weightless have asked this question as well. I actually come from it, and, and I hate to be a stereotype, but being a former dancer, um, my bigger problem was was being too thin and eating too little, um, just because it was a constant struggle to always look your your best and be the thinnest and be the lightest and and being a tall guy too. Like I was taller than a lot of the the male dancers. I I had to work extra hard. So I more came my diet issues, I guess, were much more on the side of like I used <laughs> I was in ballet school in the eighties, so we used cigarettes. Like we smoked oh. instead of eating. And eventually you can only do that for a certain part of the day, especially when you're dancing for seven or eight hours a day. And then you you know when you get that hungry, you freak out and you have a Coke and a chocolate bar because you just need some sort of glycogen and some sort of sugar hit and dopamine and everything. So so really my my diet problems are are on the the opposite end of the spectrum but in the end it's really all the same like it's an abuse of food and it's a it's a broken relationship with with food so <laughs> and sorry i'm i'm formulating my thought but okay. in terms of the the long the long game and how to like the reason that it is a year long and a lot of the the processes that we use in the weightless program are based on cognitive behavior therapy and uh and a lot of the the sort of techniques and practices used in there and this is a whole other aspect of my personality and stuff that i bring to to the weight loss thing it wasn't I wasn't using these, these techniques as a, as a way to reset my diet or do anything in terms of fitness or, or nutrition. I was using them to control anxiety. And it's amazing how applicable all of these things like mindfulness and, um, and just spending time identifying your cognitive distortions and learning that your reaction to a situation or a meal or a person or whatever has more to do with your baggage or your history or your ego than it does have to do with the person or the situation or the or the food that you're presented with so all the learning that I did doing all my cognitive behavior training has lend itself so much more to the to the weightless program than any diet I've ever followed in my life in 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 a lot of ways, it's rejecting the idea of a diet more than it is like taking pieces from paleo and taking pieces from veganism and taking pieces because really in the end, like, sure, we need to to be aware of what we're eating and the choices we're making. But you can only get to that point once you actually are responsible for or taking responsibility for the choices you're making and able to make those choices in the moment or in the in the week and you can't make you can either enforce through willpower good choices or you can spend the time making the good choices your default yeah and, 
and that's that's really where where my cognitive behavior training comes in. Wow, yeah, it takes practice. One of the frustrations I had when I was going through some trainings as far as nutrition goes is yes, they would tell you what to eat and same with diet programs, you get a, a meal plan, etc. But if you don't have the mindset and if you don't address root issues that are holding you back and and get that first, and there was no application tips in these programs. That was what yeah. really bothered me. And so that's when I got into more. I, I became a behavioral change specialist and I got nice. some behavior coaching. I signed up for the Human Potential Coach Program, which talked a little bit about neuroscience and psychology of success and all that and goal setting and how that really works and application-based um, approach to want you know weight loss and, and health. And it completely changed my mindset. And I think people just want to dive in and get, give me the, give me the rules. Give me, they want to take the easy way out. Yes, exactly. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. But you have to really start to think for yourself and address the real things that you're facing. So what, based on this behavioral change um, strategy approach that you're using, tell us some tips, tell us some common, um, I guess, some tips for starting out, like what's the first mindset thing you talk about in this course or that you'd recommend to somebody who's been going at it from a dieter's mentality? Well, the the first place to start is always observation. It's always actually taking some time to to realize what your what your triggers are what the actual problems are we call them we, we just call them wins and whiffs we get people to at the end of each day write down like one column of the, the sort of wins we don't call them good choices we don't want to judge you it's, this isn't about like scolding you or judging you or or making you feel bad it's just which what wins did you have today and which whiffs did you have today that you're going to going to eventually um, make changes on, or, or you'd like to see moving those into your wins column instead. And before you make any drastic changes or, or do anything like that, just recording that it's kind of like, um, I usually get people that I coach to do a, a meal log for like seven to 10 days, because it's amazing how much people just learn on their own from that. It's like, basically, I don't even have to weigh in at a certain point, you can see it self correcting. By writing down what you're actually doing rather than what you're remembering yourself doing. So I always say, like, make sure you carry an app or a piece of paper with you all day. So while you're eating it, you write it down. You don't sit down at the end of the day and and go, oh, yeah, what did I have for lunch again? And you forget that French fries were on the, <laughs> the side of the thing. Not that there's anything wrong with French yeah. fries. Like, in moderation, yeah. French fries. Um, but... But yeah, so that that's always the the first step. And whether that's like whether you're doing this for depression or anxiety or weight loss, you need to be aware of your own behaviors before you can start to make them make changes to them. Totally. Yeah, that's logging has been one of the biggest things. And I even require it if I'm going to work with somebody, I, because if they're not willing to do that, then they're not willing to really get the get to the root of the issues, logging your mood around when you, after you eat, noticing what foods fill you up, what don't, what doesn't, how, you know, if you went into a meal really stressed and, and things like that. So, okay. So observing, what about, what do we do when we want to change, make, create long-term change, but we get stuck comparing ourselves to others. You've, you yourself are around some of the most, 
um, let's see, how do I say this? Like intense <laughs> people in the field doing everything they possibly can to hack their biology and be superhumans. So how do you not compare yourself and stay patient with this process? Well, I think there's always a, there's a certain measure of my social media has been a terrible, terrible thing for us this way, because I know like I, for me, for everybody. And, and again, like you and Danny talked about this, how like you when you put things on social media, it's your highlight reel. Mm-hmm. And then when you're looking at it from your perspective, you're looking at your own blooper reel. So it's always like the blooper reel versus the highlight reel. You have to remember that everybody has a blooper reel, and one of the one of I guess I had a privileged um, situation where I actually worked with a lot of these people on a one one on one basis, and I got to see them in their blooper reels, and (laughs) and it definitely it happens to everybody. Nobody is absolutely perfect. Nobody has everything that they've written about and everything that they live for and everything that they preach on, on social media, they're still, they're still flailing about, they're still faltering. They're still making some bad decisions. They're still getting sick. They're still getting injured. It's just reality. Anybody who sells you some sort of idea that if you follow this plan, you're never going to get sick and you're never going to make bad decisions and you're never going to shout at your kids and you're never going to whatever is crazy because we're humans and that's just what happens and i think part of part of the way that i can i combat that is i'm 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 46 years old i've been around i've seen a lot of people and experienced a lot of stuff and and i feel pretty confident in the fact that i'm not the only one who occasionally needs to to have a thing of french fries even though i know it's not the the greatest idea or that extra beer that i probably shouldn't have Um, but also just like knowing for absolutely certain that even the gurus struggle like that's, and I think even the Dalai Lama will say that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You heard it here. People, they all, everybody has their things that they're working on always. It's never the end. It's never that you get there and then you can just back it off. So, okay. So now you told me earlier that you had a major health scare and you also yeah. said you you personally have been working on your nutrition for anxiety reasons. So tell us more about that health scare and how it's kind of shaped um your behavioral changes and and what you decided to do for yourself. Yeah, sure. I mean, back in I guess it was 2003, I got a stomach bug and um was throwing up for a few days, felt really terrible. And then woke up at five o'clock in the morning on like, I think it was like the fourth or fifth day of, of feeling terrible. And it felt like an elephant was standing on my chest. Like I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do anything. So I popped some more gravel or uh, what do you guys call it? Dramamine. The American version is Dramamine, I think. And called my sister and said, I, I think I should probably go to the hospital. And she was like, oh, okay, this is like four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. And so she's like, okay, just I'll be there soon. And she took like, two hours. I'm sorry, Jolene, I shouldn't be airing your, your dirty laundry. But she was like, ah, yeah, you've been sick for days. Fine. So she shows up and she's totally dressed like makeup on everything. And so I'm like, come on, I'm like, I'm dying here. What are you doing? But anyway, she took me to the hospital and they uh, they did blood draw and ECG and said, okay, you've had a heart attack. Oh, um, right. We need to to take you into the cath lab and do an angiogram. And I was like, wait, what? I've 
no, I just have a stomach bug. I haven't had a heart attack. I'm like, no, you've had a heart attack and we need to get you in to, for an angiogram, sign this paper. I'm like, no, I just have a stomach bug. And they're like, sign this paper, sir. So finally I signed it. They took me to the angiogram. Um, hadn't had a heart attack, but did have severe inflammation in my mito or my uh Myo myocarditis. What is it? Mm. Myocon. Okay. What's the thing called? That's the part of your pericardium. Oh, okay. Okay. The thing that surrounds your heart. Um, so I, what happened was the infection that was in my stomach and was making me throw up for days had moved into, into the lining of my heart and enlarged it. And, and it was really having trouble beating and stuff. Um, so I spent, I think I spent a week in the hospital that time. Then I got out, had a recurrence, had two more recurrences of it over the next um, year and a half. And and then after that, basically developed a, a pretty gen, generalized anxiety disorder around, well, it was mostly focused around health, um, just the fear that it was going to come back and, and something was going to take me out. And that's when I started the cognitive behavior therapy. Um, but I also, in the meantime, my cardiologist gave me the all clear. I was supposed to get a, at one point I was scheduled for a pacemaker surgery. Um, but he said, no, I think you're going to be okay. Let's wait another six months. He was absolutely right. In six months, everything was fine. But I kept having symptoms because my anxiety was was so high. So he made the offhanded comment of, you know what you need to do, Brock, is run a marathon or something like that. Oh. <laughs> to just to prove to yourself that that you're you're healthy and he didn't I don't think he really meant it I think he was just saying like you got to get it through your head man like you're good now it's it's all behind you um but I took him on his word and started running marathons after that wow but it really was uh, a journey of trying to make myself as healthy mentally as it was making myself as healthy physically and and that's really what uh, what led me down this whole other road from from being a dancer musician to being being a wellness consultant and and mm -hmm. fitness guy. <clears throat> wow. So um, yeah, I can't remember what the rest of your no, that that it pretty much answers it. But now okay. that you are working with clients and you do know that there's not a one size fits all approach with diet, and you do know that mindset is huge. What have you noticed amongst clients as far as like some of the potential dangers maybe of committing wholeheartedly to something like I'm going to go keto forever or I'm going to um, do vegan forever, you know, and, and how do we know, I guess, tell me about the different results you've seen and how do we know what to do now, now that you're telling us we can't, we shouldn't follow a certain diet, what do we do? Well, I any diet that is so restrictive mm -hmm. that it feels like an effort and like you're just barely hanging on in order to to adhere to this this diet it's probably wrong like that's mm -hmm. that is not sustainable and and whether it's the most healthy on paper or in a test tube or in clinical studies or whatever if it's constantly causing you stress or causing you to um fall off the bandwagon and have to get back onto the bandwagon and then fall off the bandwagon back on the bandwagon. Well, that's just, that's just not sustainable. What is sustainable is, and I love Mark Sisson calls these things, um, sensible indulgences. Hmm. So 
occasionally he has a piece of bread with some butter on it because it seems like a sensible indulgence at that time. He doesn't go crazy and have it for an entire week or he doesn't eat the entire loaf or whatever. But if it strikes his fancy in the moment and he's willing to accept the cost that that's going to going to inflict on him, whether that's brain fog or a little bit of gas or bloating or, or whatever it is, he's making a decision in the moment to be like, okay, no, this is worth it to me in this moment. I'm not going to do this every day, but this is worth it to me. That sort of a, that sort of thing is, is much more realistic and acceptable. And Monica Reinagle that I do the weightless thing with, with, um, always says, you're not as bad as your worst day and you're not as good as your best day. Like it's the average of your days in terms of like eating, exercise, everything that, that matters. So, so when it comes down to it, like people who want to try keto that come to me and they really want to try the keto thing, I'm like, sure. Yeah. Give it a try. See, see what happens. None of them have stuck with it. Mm. Like 0% people have gone on to stay keto. Most of them have stayed low carb. And I think that's fantastic because most of us in North America, at least are way too carb heavy. So low carb really means like a reasonable amount of carb mm -hmm. in my book. Like when they say balanced diet, it's like, well, how's 70% carbohydrates? Yeah. And, like, <laughs> yeah. That that's a lot. Balanced in any way. Yeah. But yeah, like more like a 30, 30, 30 kind of, kind of a balanced, which for some crazy reason we think of as low carb. I think that's absolutely a great idea. Mm -hmm. um, but it's funny how that usually is what, and that happened to me too. When I went keto, when I came, when I was finally like, I can't do this anymore. This is crazy. I can't go out for dinner with friends. I can't even go to my mom's house and, and stuff. When I came out of that, I basically have been low carb ever since. And I feel great. I, my my brain is is much more online. I don't get ravenously hungry constantly and and stuff like that. So um, so usually if people have this, if they're bent on trying something, I'll try to assist them as best I can to to do it safely, properly, and mindfully. So they're not just destroying their bodies. Like we know that. I, people can have trouble with their thyroids when they mm. when they go too low carb and and stuff like that. So keeping an eye on on the things that we need to keep an eye on, but always in the back of my head, I know it's not going to last, and yeah. that's a terrible thing. I, it's the first time I've actually admitted that I know my clients aren't Aww. going to stick with what they're doing, but it's true. And and generally, what they arrive at is a healthier version of whatever they were trying, whether that's keto, whether it's veganism, whether it's like whatever it is, they tend to go too far, mm -hmm. but in going too far, they end up at a point where, where it's actually a lot more reasonable. Yeah. Finding a, a happy, they have to test it and then they rein it in a, a bit. I'm the same way with the low carb situation. I tried the keto diet and it's just, it is challenging, especially when you're out in the public <laughs> going yeah. out to dinner so but um and have limited choices but yes it's definitely uh something i've gone more into low carb but that doesn't i mean even that doesn't work for everybody it's just a matter of figuring it out for you but what about like cuz i've heard you with ben greenfield talking about getting very specific into certain things like your ancestry or 
um, your your genes um, and things like that when it comes to nutrition. And so shifting gears a little bit from behavior, I guess, tell me a little bit more about certain genes that if we just want to cut to the chase and know we shouldn't try something maybe uh, given a certain gene or um, same thing with the other thing I said, I forgot what it was. Um, genes and, oh, what was it? Ancestry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, is that even a thing? Tell me, tell me more about sure. that a little bit. What you know about that. Yeah, I, and honestly, I don't know a lot about that. The thing that I have done all the genetic testing, I've done the 23andMe, I've done the gut biome, I've done, uh, what else have I done recently? Oh, I did the inside tracker and all What's of that, that stuff. Inside tracker. Hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a specific, it's a company that does, um, blood tests but then they actually like have this really cool interface that has like the optimal zones versus like what you would get mm. from your doctor which is like this is like generally health considered average healthy. people yeah yeah they have like the optimal zones and stuff it's really interesting and it's really cool and i love that we are trying to expand our knowledge of these things like the gut biome and the and genetic markers and things like that but it is in such infancy like we have barely scratched the surface. We don't understand how, not even half, like probably 90% of this stuff we don't understand enough yet. So I love that that we're getting in on the ground floor and I want to provide my information so they can start figuring more stuff out. And every time 23andMe or Ubiome has a, another, um, they do a lot of surveys so they can correlate a lot of the genes to your responses to the surveys. I'm the first one to jump in there and answer those survey questions because I want this science to move forward. At the same time, I know that it's not there yet and it's premature to start making a whole bunch of decisions and basing a lot of our lifestyle choices on these things because we just we just figured out that epigenetics was a thing. Yeah. Never mind that it uh, what effect it has on on our genes. Right. And that's awesome. I'm not putting it down at all. I think this is this is absolutely the way of the future. The microbiome is the way of the future. The genetic testing is the way of the future. But we are not there yet. And right. I and I I just I'm very uncomfortable giving any sort of prescription based on that. I think ancestry, on the other hand, if you know like me, I'm I'm mostly Ukrainian and Irish. So my people are potato eaters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we've, we've been eating potatoes for centuries. So I'm probably not, and and my genetic test actually did confirm this, which is fun and interesting and cool, um, that I have a higher carb tolerance than, mm. than I would have thought. Well, actually, and that's not even true. I felt so terrible when I was keto. And then as soon as I added in only 100 grams of carbs, like we're not talking like hundreds and hundreds of grams, but 100 to 150 grams of carbs, that's mm -hmm. my sweet spot. I feel great. Ditto. But I don't get to, yeah. yeah so. Kind of weird. <laughs> but I'm what, not Irish. I, I'm, I'm the same way, like 150, anything over that, it starts to get a little craziness. But yeah, uh, that's very interesting. Okay. But so I think that's like, there's a certain amount of guessing we can do based on that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even just looking at things as, as obvious as your, your family's body shapes and, and things like that, it's like, well, sure. My, my great grandmother was living on pierogies and piroshke and holopsy and stuff like that, but she was also morbidly obese. And, and I think she died in her seventies, which isn't 
wasn't too bad for her her generation but you know my my grandmother lived to be 101 and was like ripped basically wow <laughs> and she ate what i would consider to be a low carb paleo diet almost so like mm-hmm. other than in the occasional piece of bread she was like really just like almost a a keto sort of diet so i think there's a certain amount of that that we can use our intuition on but i i don't go a whole hog on the on the genetics thing Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. There's, there's still a lot to be known, but in the same way with food, I think a lot of times we get so specific, like these articles that came out about coconut oil and how it's, you need to be careful and blah, blah, blah versus the fact that most Americans aren't even eating whole foods to begin with. And now we're talking about how they can't have like coconut oil. Like Tell me, because I think sometimes we take things too far and, we, and yes. we're not even addressing the basics of like eating vegetables before we get so into like, well, should I be eating sauerkraut and, um, you know, like these new fancy things that come out? So tell me, are there any universal principles in general that instead of people getting so into the specific very specific rules, and they're just starting out. Any foundational universal principles when it comes to eating as an approach, like not eating too fast or whatever, and the types of foods to eat? Well, I think the the types of foods we all know in our gut that sugar is bad and vegetables are good. Like, and there's mm-hmm. no, and no one's ever going to argue with you about that and say, no, you should be eating more sugar and less vegetables. I, I think we know what's, what's good for us. And it's when we start to read too many clickbaity headlines, like the one that came out last week that said, um, you can lower your chances of getting the flu by drinking wine. Do you see oh, that? Oh, no. Wow. The wine ones was, really get me. There's a lot of wine ones. <laughs> well, and they didn't even use wine. Like I went through and clicked on the study and actually read through the, the wine. They were using like a resveratrol oh. um, extract mm-hmm. that was actually from tea. It wasn't even from wine. Oh, my God. And it was in such in such a concentrated amount, like such a hugely concentrated amount that you would have had to drink like, I think it was like 12 bottles of wine to get that amount of resveratrol that they were then had flipped on its head and said, like drinking wine will, will not, you won't get the flu if you, if you drink wine. So it's those kinds of things that throw us all off. And like you said, the coconut oil thing, like, did we really need to debate the whole coconut oil thing? Like if you base your entire diet off of kale, (laughs) <laughs> you're going to be unhealthy like that's mm-hmm. we know that like you can't just maybe like, base your entire diet off of coconut oil kale oranges anything you're not going to be healthy so it doesn't really matter at a certain point as long as you're getting a nice variety of everything mm-hmm. and maybe don't worry about increasing your amount of coconut oil or decreasing your amount of coconut oil just be reasonable with your coconut oil and and you'll probably be okay. And just focus on the things that really are food, like mm-hmm. plants and for people who eat meat, meat and um, tubers and mm-hmm. legumes and things like that. And also like just, yeah, just eat a variety. Don't try to be so reductionist about things. I'm always leery of diets that exclude entire food groups too. Like that's always sort of like, well, yeah. Is it really to blame to the point where you need to cut the entire thing out? 
probably reducing grains for everybody is a good idea, but mm -hmm. only a few people are really that sensitive to it that they need to eliminate it altogether. And I know that's a controversial thing to say when I'm, I work for Bulletproof and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But, you know, I've seen people like Ben Greenfield go completely, he eats bread now. Like mm -hmm. he, he loves sitting down and eating his wife's sourdough bread. But again, it's not all the time. It's a nice homemade sourdough that his wife has actually made by hand. And, mm -hmm. and it's a sensible indulgence. And right. that's much more our ancestry as homo sapiens on this planet to do that sort of thing than it is to like just constantly be slapping every meal between two pieces of bread or a bun or starting the meal off with a bun. Where did that idea come from? Like, we're <laughs> right. about to have pasta. You know what I need? A bun. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I, I don't know. That is a good question. Um, it's crazy. It, I mean, it's so obvious that it came from we want people to eat less of the expensive food. Yeah. So we're going to give them a whole bunch of cheap food to begin with. So they walk out of here feeling satisfied, but it didn't cost us as much. Like it's, mm. it's crazy. Oh, yeah. Okay. But you have to admit there's there, there are some things that make it harder for people to eat healthy or to um, change their mindset. Because for example, like, if you have crazy blood sugar levels, like you and you're you have insulin resistance, or if your hormones are really out of whack, or because of certain processed foods, you've been eating long term and, and hyper palatable foods making it harder to stop eating when you're full and things like that like that definitely is making things harder for people. So what, I guess, what are some tips you have as far as setting ourselves up for success? And it doesn't have to be with food necessarily, but like regulating our blood sugar, maybe ways that we can reduce stress so that we're not as um, under stress and overeating emotionally, things like that. Like, I know that's kind of a hard question, but just what are some tips no, no. you have? Yeah, that's, this is the kind of thing that I deal with with all the time. And the biggest piece of advice I can give people who are trying to to make those kinds of changes is don't go whole hog. Don't go all or nothing. People are constantly coming to to Monica and I and saying like, I gotta, I'm gonna quit drinking soda. Yeah, I'm gonna just quit it. And like, okay, well, how much soda do you usually drink? And they're like, oh, two liters a day. I'm like, well okay, how about you just drink one liter a day? Mm -hmm. Like, no, no, I got to quit it altogether. Like, no, why don't you just try one liter a day for a while? Like those kinds of all or nothing mentalities set us up for, for failure, first of all, and often for, for huge rebound. So if you're looking to eliminate those kinds of things from, from your diet and you know you've got some problems or some trigger foods, don't try and get rid of them altogether. Like it's like a, like a smoker, like don't, nobody well very few people quit smoking by going cold turkey usually the best success rate is to to sort of wean off at a certain point you need to completely cut it off but only after you've titrated same thing with medications same thing with i don't know anything in in life it's a lot easier to to minimize 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 and then let it go and also replace it with something with a healthier habit. So again, going back to the soda idea, instead of saying, I'm not going to drink soda anymore, how about drink half as much soda and replace the other half with some carbonated water that has some lemon juice in it or some, some tart cherry juice, or I have these bitters that actually taste like they're sarsaparilla and plum. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And you just put like a few drops in the water and it kind of, it, it tastes a little bit like root beer. So it gives you that same sort of feeling, but it's not triggering all the dopamine and the insulin release and doing all the, all the damage. So you're, you're titrating, like you're bringing you're, you're lowering that addiction, but you're also replacing it with something. So you're not just leaving a hole. Mm. Okay. So, and then the other part of that is to set your habitat up. So you're not constantly exposed to those things. So if you do have that four or two liter bottle of, of soda around, don't leave it on the counter or don't put it in the front of your fridge, put it somewhere out of sight. So when you actually want some of that thing and you're like, I got to have some, some of that soda, it's an effort rather than just opening up the fridge and going, oh, soda right? and, and drinking it. Like that's, those are the two things that sort of are, are a really great place to start Mm-hmm. in terms of just breaking some of those habits because yeah like those are addictive and these are these are addictions that mm-hmm. that we're dealing with and and certainly hormones can play uh play a role in these things but i don't think they play as large a role and i'm not an expert in in hormones but what yeah. i've noticed is we use hormones we use menopause we use aging we use stress. We use all of this stuff as scapegoats and reasons. Like we justify our bad behaviors or the fact that we're putting on a little bit of weight or something. It's like, ah, oh, what can I do? I'm over 40. Like, mm-hmm. And you just sort of justify it. And it's like, well, no, like you fight back. Like, don't, yeah. Don't, don't give in and don't just accept defeat. Like, sure, there are certain things that happen over time and as we as we age or as we damage our hormones or whatever that do set us up to to for it to be more difficult sometimes but using that as a justification to just throw everything out the window is is generally what I've what I've seen oh yeah totally okay well on the on the topic of excuses what are some common ones you hear, I guess, working with people and how, how do you help them overcome it? Besides, I, I know you mentioned there's two, I got two really good takeaways from that. You said, um, slow down, like take, decrease the amount of what you're doing that's bad instead of completely going off cold turkey and uh, replace the bad habit with, habit with something better or like dilute your <laughs> wine or whatever. So yeah. tell me now. What about other, maybe three, one to one to two, one to three common excuses you hear and what you tell them to do and, and what helps them behavioral wise? Okay. Well, I think lack of time, like everybody thinks they're, they're way too busy to, to make any changes in their lives. And we do pride ourselves on, on being a very busy society. And it's true. A lot of people are, are overstretched, but a lot of that comes down to planning and just feeling overwhelmed mm-hmm. by um, when you have an amorphous blob of things you need to get done, like just hanging in the back of your head of, oh, God, I've got like 50 things I need to do tomorrow. That can often lead you to believe that you have no time and you're way overstressed and you're, and you're just never going to get it all done. If you take time and actually break down those tasks and figure out like what things you really do need to get done today, tomorrow, the next day, and so on, it often, first of all, it lowers that level of of anxiety and stress and cortisol and stuff in your body because you've got an organized list of things you need to get done rather than just a ridiculous amount I need to get done tomorrow. 
in and that just that right there is such a a healthy much more healthy feeling of of getting through through your life and you can often find those little spots to add in those extra little self-care practices mm. things like like making uh making a nicer meal or making the lunch to take to to work instead of eating out or or going for a walk after after work and um just yeah really just getting yourself and this is again a cognitive behavior thing instead of telling yourself a story of what your life is figure out what that story really is but by writing it out yeah because we often we do a thing called catastrophizing that's a a thing we talk about as a cognitive distortion where everything is always like everything's too much and it's overwhelming and and I can't handle it and the world's going to end or I'm going to lose my job or my family's going to hate me or my kids are going to grow up to be delinquents or or whatever <laughs> it is it's always like ah and you catastrophize the entire situation rather than actually looking at it for what it is and it's like yeah okay tomorrow's going to be going to be difficult it's going to be a long day but I can do it and and the day after I think I can shift some of these things into the weekend and I can juggle things around and, and everything's going to be, be a lot, uh, a lot more manageable. So I think that would be the, the first, the first suggestion or, yeah. and, and excuse. Mm -hmm. Um, another excuse would be, um, that like, I actually, it's the, the same, same sort of excuse of being, being too busy or no, let's do, um, not enjoying exercise. That's one of my yes. one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. I actually earlier today I was doing a Facebook live and somebody wrote in and said that uh, they they're over 50 and know that they should be like doing some resistance training, but they hate lifting weights. And so, yeah, I really like Zumba class and, and some aerobics classes, but I really hate lifting weights. So I'm not doing any strength training I'm like it's that we we have blinders on sometimes in terms of in terms of diet in terms of exercise that everything has to be like resistance training equals go to the gym and lift weights or mm -hmm. cardio go to the gym and run on the treadmill or go go run in general like people just sort of cardio and running it's like mm -hmm. they don't they don't see any alternatives <laughs> there and there's so many wonderful activities in the world to to do in terms of all of the exercise that that we can that we can do that this the excuse that I don't enjoy exercise is just really just a narrow-minded way of thinking you haven't actually explored all the possibilities because there's always something that people enjoy whether it's gardening or going mm -hmm. for a walk or playing basketball or riding your bike or playing yeah. with your kids playing with a dog like mm -hmm. there's all of these things qualify as exercise and in terms of like resistance training like everything is resistance training if you yeah. if you want it to be right so so i think the yeah that excuse of i don't enjoy that or and sometimes that comes down to like food too like people are like oh i don't like vegetables i'm like oh well what vegetables have you tried and you know like lettuce tomatoes <laughs> like, okay well there's a lot more out there let's let's expand the expand the breadth of of your your adventurousness and and see if there's something out there that you do enjoy or a way to prepare it that you do yeah. enjoy. Yeah, preparing like, it. Yeah, that's a good point. Steaming mm -hmm. broccoli, like it changed some people's lives. Like they yeah. you can't stand broccoli when it's, raw. when it's raw, but right. you steam it and put a little bit of butter and salt on it. And they're just like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Or they were told that Brussels sprouts were gross somewhere along the way. But then when they have my Brussels sprouts with chopped up bacon and Ooh. a little bit of Parmesan cheese on top. Mm, Sounds very like good. It's just, a, it's too, too narrow minded. Yeah. We got to think outside the box a little bit, a little bit. Think outside the salad. Okay. Yes. I like that better. <laughs> Um, okay. I'm going to make a t-shirt that says that. Think outside the salad. <laughs> yeah, I'll get one. Um, okay, so, and then as far as people who, maybe they um, have excuses or a, a story that they're telling themselves like, I am an emotional eater. I am a binge eater. I am a, um, I don't know, sugar addict. What, yeah. how do we break that in in a short period of time, tell me your answer. <laughs> Cause I know we're well, coming up you, to the end, but you kind of answered it. Like while you were saying that, like by identifying yourself as being something that you don't want to be, you're reinforcing that story. Mm -hmm. And that was a big thing that I learned um, during my, my anxious and, and depressed period was to stop telling people I'm an anxious person. Mm, okay. It, it, I wasn't lying to myself. I wasn't saying, I didn't go around saying, I'm not an anxious person. <laughs> it's right. like, well, I, I just stopped identifying myself as being that person. I can, you can say, you know, I have been an anxious person in the past, but I'm working towards not being that, or mm -hmm. I am in process of not being that or, or whatever. And eventually I was like, I'm not an anxious person. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, but reinforcing, like telling yourself that story over and over again, just really, I'm, it's, it is, it, there's a lot of power in the, in the words that you choose mm -hmm. about people and especially about yourself. Like you, you can tell yourself all kinds of stories and eventually you start to believe it. And isn't that basically how you guys ended up with the president you have right now? Mm. He oh. told you enough times <laughs> how wonderful he is. And oh Yeah. Yeah. Somehow, somebody believed it. Right. Yeah. So, t so not I, putting so much emotion into our stories and attaching to it so much and, um, and not necessarily saying fake it till you make it and just lie to yourself, but yeah, changing. You can't this, lie to yourself. Yeah. You, yeah. I'm working on X or, or whatever, and then taking the action to do it slowly. Yeah. 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 And, and breaking it down to, to the realistic story. Like even when I was anxious when I was having anxiety attacks I would say things like oh yeah yesterday was terrible I had an anxiety attack all day I was and then when the cognitive behavior training taught me to actually start writing down when I was having an anxiety attack I realized it was only 20 minutes mm. of the day like if I added all the anxiety attacks I had it actually only added up to 20 minutes and I was like damn that's not that bad yeah in like, the scheme of your you, life, that is a very yeah. small piece. Yeah. Yeah. So when you take the when when I took the story away mm -hmm. and looked at the reality of how much time I was actually spent in that anxious state, it reduced my anxiety <laughs> because I, I wasn't just catastrophizing and telling myself like, well, I'm always anxious. I'm always having an anxiety attack. That that isn't the truth and it isn't mm -hmm. real it's a story and it's an incorrect story. Right. Okay. I have, I have one final question for you and it right. is what are the one to three, you can tell me one or up to three small <laughs> habits that have made the biggest impact on your overall health? Um, on my overall health. Ooh, that's a good, that's hard. There's too many. I think the the original one that we talked about earlier of just reducing carbs, 
Um, like when I went keto, I didn't feel great. But when I rebounded back to a reasonable amount of carbs, I have never been this stable in my life. Like I went from being the guy who was like, I was an emotional roller coaster mm -hmm. and I'm so much more under control now. And a lot of that has to do with, with my eating and just not having bun for breakfast, a bagel for a snack, a muffin, blah, 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 blah. Um, so yeah, definitely dialing in my carbohydrate intake. Okay. Um, I think exercise for me, actually lifting really heavy has been a, a huge changer for me. Like it really, my, my hormones actually balanced out a lot, a lot more. I had, I was heading towards low testosterone. I wasn't quite low, but it was starting to, to dip down in my early forties and I've completely recovered to like the upper end of things. And I think a lot of that has to do with not only the physical activity of lifting heavy stuff, but just the emotional and mental standing of being feeling strong. Yeah. I think everybody and like, not just men, like everybody should feel strong. Like it's just mm -hmm. a, it's a great feeling to, to feel strong and capable. And that doesn't necessarily mean you need to go and lift weights like I do. But like we were saying earlier, like find a way to make your, make yourself feel like you're capable and you belong in, in this world. I love that. And what else? I think cognitive behavior therapy really like I believe that they should teach a lot of these strategies in school. Like if I knew if I was able to actually be mindful and and understand the stories I was telling myself and and not blame everything on external sources and accept responsibility for my own feelings and stuff. I know that's a those sound like really heady sort of ideas for a teenager, but there are ways to to break that down and to to teach that at a very young age and I think I would love to see that become part of not necessarily school but at least part of our society in in the way that we address our 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 youth awesome because that's made a yeah. huge difference for me yeah wow well that's awesome and you you've clearly had quite a story and quite a lot of challenges to face with the uh back in tw what was it 2001 where you had that heart issue and all of that yeah so i you know you, i don't want to overblow that like yeah. it was it was scary it yeah. was terrifying for me in the moment and and it definitely changed my life but there's a lot of people out there with a lot harder struggles oh, on, a, on a daily basis i i never want to come across no, as being, no. feeling sorry for myself but at the end of the day you've learned to manage a lot of the challenges that you've faced and you've done it you recommend it cognitive behavioral therapy as something that really helped you. So I think that's a great note to end on and a great thing for people to explore. And I love talking about behavioral change instead of exactly a prescription of what to eat, when to eat, blah, blah, blah. So this is a nice little change of pace for the episode. Yeah. And um, thank you so much for doing this. And tell us where we can find you and connect with you if we want to see you on social media and all of that. Sure, sure. Um, before I do that, I just want to say like to everybody out there who's been listening to this and, and is floundering a little bit, whenever you're choosing something, just look for an exit strategy. Like always ask yourself, and then what? Like when you're considering a new diet, when you're considering a new wellness practice of any sort, consider what you will do when that is done or when you've lost interest in that. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't try those based on that, 
but always remember that that there's got to be an exit strategy somewhere otherwise you're going to be floundering and and likely do that whole rebound thing that we're all trying to avoid the yo-yo dieting kind of thing and on that okay you can find me at um i'm i'm well facebook dot com slash actually get fit guy would be the the best place on on facebook to find me that's the most active place that i am so it's the get fit guy get hyphen fit guy um you can look for me there there's brockarmstrong.com is probably the the easiest place to to find all the links to all the places i am actually yeah that's probably the best way go brockarmstrong.com Awesome. Well, thank you again. I love the parting words. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again at some point to talk about fitness and more juicy stuff because you know a lot. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thanks, Haley. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to get your free gift over at HaleyRowe.com by joining my email list. And remember, you can always connect with me and other health coaches in the Health Coach Nation free Facebook group where I post trainings and videos on how to take your health coaching business to the next level. Can't wait to connect with you. Have an awesome day.